Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Spacemakers Podcast. I'm Kathy Pierre, and I have the incomparable Dominique Kelly as my guest today. He is a performing artist, a choreographer, a director, a creative director. He has worked with legends in the industry. I'm talking Mariah, Janet, Beyonce. He's worked for the NFL, the NBA. He has worked in musical theater across the board from sophisticated ladies to in the heights to hot feet. I mean, he has truly done it all. I am so, so very, very lucky to have him as my guest today. The Spacemakers podcast is about shining a light on people who open the doors for others. They see the light in somebody and they make the room for that light to shine. I'm Kathy Pierre, and this is the Spacemakers Podcast. So how are you? How I are am things? great. Everything in spite of is great. Like no complaints. I mean, besides the pandemic and, you know, the, the despair. But other than that, I feel like I'm in a place of abundance. Amazing. Oh, what a great place to start. Okay, so speaking of abundance, because you've really done it all, um, where did you first find your choreographic voice? I found it playing outside mm -hmm. when I was younger and playing with my cousins. I feel like I've always been that child that either made up my own solo that the family had to watch while I was, you know, downstairs, I made up a show or cousins or, or friends. I was like, all right, everybody get together. Let's learn this choreography real quick and let's, let's do it. Um, also, when I finally went to dance school, um, I realized I was the kind of child that the dance teacher would give me a solo. And if I didn't like certain parts, I would just change it for the better. <laughs> Oh, you were, you were one of those. <laughs> I was definitely one of those. And any dance teacher that might be listening, I'm sorry, but still one, still one, you know. Winning. So still it was winning. Already, yes, it was always in my DNA to choreograph. That's amazing. Um, this is a complete sidebar from the podcast, but I'm curious, were you a late uh, dance studio kid or did you start quite young? Ironically... I started at nine and ironically, the first time my mother took me to a dance studio, I hated it. Not because of, you know, any preconceived notion, but I didn't know what everybody else knew. I didn't have the outfit. I didn't have the, I didn't know the lingo. She brought me around like May, I believe, like April or May when they've already had a full year. And I was like, I don't like this. Like, I don't know anything I know that I'm there's a certain level of things I'm supposed to know I had she she like um basically hand sewn a little leotard like a unitard for me and I had penny loafers because she was like I'm not going to pay the money for everything if you're not going to stick with it so I went in there and I turned to her and I cried and I was like I hate it I think this is the dumbest thing ever then I waited until September and I came back to my mother at nine and was like I think I'm ready now and she told me that she was like you came up to me and was like I think I'm ready now and at nine, I started off in the beginner class. And then by the end of the first year, I was in like the advanced class because I was not playing around. I was like, I want to learn all the things. Right. And 
and in the DNA. So it was like, let's do this. Let's get, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So I stopped you a little bit online because I had good. <laughs> and um, I was curious about your experience choreographing your first musical with legendary Linda Hopkins, who sadly passed in 2017, I believe. Yes. Uh, what was that experience like? And, and what was that journey? And who was really impactful in that um, sp- like getting you into that space? Well, um, I did Black and Blue with her at 12. So I already knew her. Like she was the one who taught me how to do whistle tones. She told me about stage etiquette, like along with Bunny Briggs and a whole bunch of the other elders of that show, because I did that at 12. And at that point, other people were 70. So I got all that knowledge. Um, Mel Howard brought me in and Omar Edwards to co-choreograph the musical. And it was like, you know, a jazz review. She was the headliner. And I was like, okay, we're doing tap, which is fine. Like, it is what it is. But it is a certain, um, it's a certain style. And it's a, it's a certain finish that you have to have mm-hmm. when choreographing for a show that she's headlining because she is exuberant. She was larger than life. That voice was no joke. And it was fun to put together moves at 16 for a musical that other people came and watched and enjoyed. That's amazing. So she sounds like she was pretty instrumental in your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was like my grandmother, another grandmother. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that was in Germany, correct? It was. The uh, Wild Women Blues was in Germany, yes. And it was in Svelte, I believe it was called, or something like that. It. W- I understand what people talk about. I was like, oh, at 16, where were we? I think I think that's what it was called. But yeah, <laughs> we were in Germany um, for a little bit of time. And ironically, after that moment, because um, previous to that, I was on tour with Black and Blue, the European tour. Mm-hmm. And then I did Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. And then I did that tour. And after that, I was like, I need to take a break. I think I want to take a break and be a normal human. So I went to high school right after that show. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, so then you went on fast forward when you're in your 20s, maybe. Because <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that you were choreographing as a teenager, because I certainly was not. I was twirling, but not choreographing. Um, and in that kind of leadership role. So that's phenomenal. Um, you went on to choreograph, I believe, Hot Feet. You were a co-choreographer, co-choreographer for Hot Feet? Well, I contributed some choreography okay. for that for that moment. Yeah, that was... 2005 2006 so yeah I guess I was in my 20s around then you know and that was that was the earth wind and fire musical sadly didn't last long because our bodies couldn't hold up and you know we were in a huge huge theater it was hard to sell that out and you know people just weren't really into the show they loved the music but they weren't into the show who doesn't love earth wind and fire right so that that was a given but no I I saw the show and I I really loved it I loved that it was oh my gosh you saw it wait a minute (laughs) Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. I sure did. Because I okay. one, Earth, Wind, and Fire is one of my favorite favorite bands of all time. And two, I love the Red Shoes. And I was like, we're doing a rendition of the Red Shoes with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I have to see this. And then I believe Debbie Allen's daughter was the lead. Vivian, yeah, Vivian Nixon. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, I did not miss it. I was sad it closed. I mean, Broadway is really difficult, right? And I there are a lot of musicals that opened up in those early two thousands to mid two thousands that. I feel would have done much better now. For sure. 
they were sure. way ahead of their time. And I think Hot Feet was one of those musicals that was way ahead of its time. That's very sweet. I disagree, but that's very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> no, it was, it was um, a show that I realized I was in the best shape in the worst shape of my life. Like I could do 10 pirouettes every night, stopping on Releve and then keep going. But if you would check the body, like I was taped for my life under there. I look like we all were taped within an inch of our lives because it was a hard show. I mean, it was mainly dancing. It was one of those shows that we had Batmas on both sides in every number. Yep. It was like jazz. we were dancing. Jazz to the gods. It was great. <laughs> Vocabulary down. Like yeah. any dance step. I remember doing a left tilt in the show and that was in there eight times a week. A left tilt. Wow. I'm not a lefty. I don't have a tilt, but you know what? I had to find it for that show. So that's what I learned. You got to find it. You got to find it. Absolutely. And did you, I believe you were involved in the Heights as well. Yeah, I was. Uh, that door for you, who was impactful in that way? Um, basically, my friend Krista Saab, because um, Andy was having Skeleton Crew and, you know, didn't know about him. By that point, I was still doing Hot Feet, I believe. Because I believe I was like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was I was still doing hot feet and um, I would moonlight, you know, I would go and work over there and, you know, just being in the studio with Andy and just being like, well, this is how I feel like moving or this is the vibe. This is here. And, you know, it was nice that he even said it. He was like, yeah, you were kind of amused a little bit for a lot of these moves. So eventually he gave me the chance to be in the show in 2009. Amazing. Amazing. That's great. And did he... Uh, champion you as a choreographer going forward after that maybe or is that the only he, he did he did a whole like um I remember when we were uh rehearsing for it and the good thing was he let me come to rehearsal more than a week late he convinced everybody producers director he was like he already knows it it's fine he can come a week late you'll see when he gets here he picks up quickly it's fine um, and while we were rehearsing it, I would just ask questions. I'd be like, well, what about this? What about that? And he, I felt like he would always stop me and go like, stop asking those questions. You won't have a problem with any of that. You're already on your way. Just keep carving out the journey. Just keep going. You'll be fine. Which when you're younger and a, a newer choreographer, it seems like, well, you're not helping me. You, you, you don't, you're, you're not really like doing anything to put me in the places to be helped. But older me is looking it's like yeah you have to find out what your voice is you have to find out your process you have to find out if it's something you want to do you know so sometimes at the end of the day you just got to speak life into people yeah and he was saying keep going he wasn't being yeah. encouraging he was just like he could probably see the threads of the voice there he could probably sense it and you don't want to discourage that but you also want to leave room for that space of let them let them try it let them fall down a little bit because that's how you find that thing right that that your vocabulary your own your own place in the world as a choreographer which I admire so much um so I don't know if it was yeah it was it was so Denver and Texas long way from home oh, yeah <laughs> So what, how did your relationship with the Denver Performing Arts Center and Zach in Texas, Austin, I believe, yeah. um, who opened those doors for you to shine in those institutions? I don't know. I honestly don't. Well, I know in Austin, I'm still not quite sure who referred me to my first show there was, which was Sophisticated Ladies with Jennifer Holliday. I, I honestly don't know. 
until this day. Don't know who referred me, but thank God, whoever it it was. Um, I'll do some digging for you. You're going to find out. (laughs) I know. Between Jennifer Holliday and Chanel Haynes Schwartz, that town has never seen or heard voices and seen dancing like that. So it was great to just like do a black show. That was a review that was reminiscent of a black and blue. So everything that I I wanted to pay homage to and then put my own little twist on, I got to do it there. And then they brought me back the next season for Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I was like, bar, okay. But the good thing was I got to flex a different muscle and it was a popular show. And I was like, Okay, sure. Not that much choreography. It's a fashion show, but we'll make it work. And then they brought me back again to do Singing in the Rain. Which is another muscle flexed because that's a Uh, whole other vocabulary. A whole other vocabulary. Yeah. So it was great to A, be tested with a paycheck, (laughs) which is always good because, you know, um, and what was nice too is being a big fish in a small pond because once people saw sophisticated ladies in a different caliber of dancer would come out and would want to be a part of it and everybody was just interested in learning. So that was great for me. So then getting to Denver, someone that I did not know referred me to Denver. I believe he saw all three of those works. And he was like, if he can do from sophisticated ladies to Priscilla to singing in the rain, he should be able to choreograph Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So then I was referred to Chris Coleman at Oklahoma. And then I was brought on, there was no interview. Chris was just like, I heard you're the perfect person for the job. So let me know if you want it. That, you know, those like blind hiring situations are so rare, actually. It's called favor. Is that what it's called? (laughs) It's called favor. Yeah. Um, And then after that, so another little twist. So after doing the all black version of Oklahoma at Denver Center for the Performing Arts, I come back the next season to choreograph indecent Yiddish play. Yes, sir. Another way to flex. And it was in the round. Like Oklahoma was in a three quarter round, which is hard. Mm -hmm. And then indecent was in the full round. So in those five different seasons, I got to literally paint with every color in, in, you know, in my arsenal, which was wonderfully amazing. Was it terrifying ever? Of course. Every moment was terrifying. <laughs> every single moment was terrifying. I mean, it was kind of great because I was away from New York or, L- or LA. So I felt like I could really go in without any kind of like distractions or obstacles because if I was in New York or LA I'd be choreographing but still trying to do other jobs also so then I was there and I was focused for six weeks focused on that show and it was really nice because I got to figure out was it good or bad just by my own opinion as opposed to having somebody be like oh yeah you should do this or you should do that it was just a way to you know figure everything out and and it was a it's a a rite of passage to do that and I'm glad I got that opportunity and again, I had no assistant. I literally did it all myself. So nowadays, if I have to do something myself, I don't have to really, really depend on somebody else. Right. You have that skill in your back pocket. That's mm-hmm. Did the artistic directors in those seasons that you did at both those institutions, were they instrumental in after you proved yourself? Was it them calling you back? Or was it different directors each time? No. Okay. So the funny thing was, Zach, I worked with the same director and um, musical director. Once they found out we were the trifecta, they didn't want to switch everything up, which was great because, you know, it's 
you already know how each other works. So you're then you're just going and going. And it was the same um, artistic director, which was nice because, you know, it's hard bringing in somebody new who seemingly doesn't really have a resume or something that you can like look at. You know, I remember the first like press release. They didn't even go by my choreographic credits. They went by what shows I've danced in. So it's just nice to see the growth later on to now be talking about choreographic credits because these artistic directors took a chance on me. And the same thing with Chris Coleman. He took a chance on me and then he brought me back again for Indecent. So that just also shows that like you need to cultivate those relationships. And so who were those artistic directors? What were their names? We have Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman and oh, he's going to kill me. What was the other one? <laughs> oh, this is going to suck. I'll have to look it up and, and send it back to you. If he's listening, please don't kill me. It's been a long day. <laughs> he loves you though. <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. But he was absolutely amazing. And I love that all of them wanted to showcase black and brown work. That was another thing too. It's one thing to have diversity and show the faces, but it's different to have inclusion and have somebody behind the scenes going like, no, it shouldn't be that. Or mm, black people wouldn't do that. Or mm, it needs to be like that. And then actually be heard and honored. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So, wow. Theater. And then you broke into animation, sir. Yeah. Doing the movement and choreography for Princess and the Frog, the Smurfs. That is a tough industry to break into. So I need to know where does those relationships start? Who was instrumental in, in that? Like, door being kicked open for you because that's amazing so basically I collaborated on Princess and the Frog with Betsy Betos and she was the one that originally brought me in off an, an audition because I played the uh, villain Dr. Facilier in Princess and the Frog and I was the first person who auditioned for that role um, I remember the audition notice said like tall lean African-American can tap tumble and has technique and can do sinewy snake-like movement. And I was like, well, if I don't get this, I need to just clean it up. I just need to move back home. So I went in there and before I even danced, she gasped. And I was like, what, do I have a booger? Like what's going on? Um, and you know, went through the paces. She was like, all right, great, thank you. And it's funny because a friend of mine came in after me and in my head, I was like, good luck. And I don't think it's gonna happen for you, but good luck. But anyway. I looked like the character from the gap in my tooth to my lips to my facial structure. People think that like they built the character off of me and it was like, like, no, I came in already looking like the character. Mm -hmm. So then from there, she had me come in and um, help to choreograph with some of the other characters. And you'd be surprised. It was, it was the hardest job of my life up until this. It's, it's literally the hardest job. Just think about how many times we watch animation mm -hmm. and those those cartoons don't stop moving. Everything has movement. If you think about it, you can't just stand there. Everything has movement and action and it's something. And then not only that, then you add all the words. So my friend um, Keith David, who ironically I did Hot Feet with, was the voice of Dr. Facilier. Full circle. Love it. Exactly. So I had to learn all of those. And not only was I the villain, I was his ghost, his shadow, I'm sorry, the shadow and the um, voodoo dolls. So you're learning all like a whole bunch of different tracks and how they intertwine and all those other things. 
So then, you know, once you get that, it's a crash course. And then I felt like I could do anything. I was like, okay, well, if I can do this, then I can help choreograph all this other stuff. And then Smurfs, I helped out um, Keith Young. And that was hard because that was, it was a whole different element because we had to like get off the set and then they had to take a picture, not a picture, but it was like some CGI effect of the set. So not only with Smurfs, they have to, you know, make sure they can fit everywhere. But like, you have to remember how big Smurfs are. Yeah. And how their body dimensions and all that other things. A a sort of odd, small person. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So like in those moments, you get a crash course, but that learning curve is so severe that after a while you're like, oh, I can do this. There's no problem. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, okay, so I don't, I don't actually think there's an industry that you have not touched, which is, I just absolutely adore, because I think it's incredible that you have opened up yourself to just anything and not stuck, because, you know, a lot of choreographers, I'm a theater choreographer, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a musical theater choreographer, or I do concerts, and I'm, you know, that, and you're like, bring it, so talk yeah. to me about your journey into sports, like the NFL, the NBA. And how did that transition? Because that's a, that is like a, it's like an explosion when you go into those arenas in that space. Oh, so yeah. who, why, <laughs> all the things. Um, all the credit goes to Ron Coleman and Petra Pope. Fairy godmother, fairy godfather. Um, Petra Pope, I remember um, graduating from college and a week before I graduated from college, I moved to New York City from Connecticut. And I auditioned for the WNBA. It was the New York Liberty, I believe, at that point. And, you know, was dancing for them. Wasn't liking the choreography that I was doing. I was like, what is this? This is trash. And here's that nine-year-old again. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what are we doing? And then she was like, oh, okay, then what would you do? And I just put some moves together real quick. And she was like, all right, well, I'll give you a number. Let's see how you do. Don't play me. I gave her a number. And then she took that number and then had me come back and set it on the Nick City Dancers. So then from there, I was working with the Nick City Dancers. And then she moved to, at that time, was the New Jersey Nets. So I came with her at the New Jersey Nets that then became the Brooklyn Nets. And then, um, and ironically, that was up until around 2006, when then I left to go to San Diego to do The Wiz when I met Ron Kellum and Ron Kellum saw how much that I, I loved doing NBA and NFL and all that choreography that he was like, let me see how you do with Pro Bowl. So I did the first year of, of my year with Pro Bowl and he was like, oh, okay, you're not playing around, you know? So it was he knows, great. He knows good when he sees it. He knows excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been with him since 2007 and this year was like the first year we didn't do it, of course, because of the pandemic, but those two were very instrumental in shaping it. Like even when Petra came to do the um, LA Clippers, she brought me in to do more choreography. So it was, it was great. Like from then was like Houston Rockets. I did the Boston Celtics. Who else did I do? Clippers. I never did Lakers. There was like, did Lakers. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> no, you'd be surprised, but no, I didn't do Lakers and, you know, a whole bunch of NFL teams. I did the 49ers. I did the Chargers, you know, um, and it was it was great because you really have to just do big movement. It has to be big. It has to make sense. 
Um, it has to be athletic and sexy. Um, it can't be too complicated, but it can't be too boring. And it has to be perfect in the round, you know? So then that helped so many other jobs that helped with staging. Mm -hmm. It helped with um, ability level. It helped with so many different things. You know what I mean? It helped with props. It helped with mm -hmm. formations. It helped um, with- it's, it's quick. You gotta like- It's really quick. Yeah, you gotta put it in a small- It's really time. quick. So those two people were really, really instrumental in helping me out and, and just inspiring me, both black people. So it was nice to see people of color in those positions, helping out somebody else and molding and shaping and helping me with media training and like all the things that I should be, you know what I mean? It was, it was just- Ron Pelham is a genius with media training. Let he, me tell you. He, he is the best. He is, he the, is best. the best. Mm -hmm. He's the best. So let's talk about the legends, Mariah, Janet, mm -hmm. Beyonce, just to name a few, because I know you worked with more. Um, those relationships are very different. Um, yes. it's, it's a coveted position in our industry, and you lent your talents to all of them. How did that journey begin, and who was instrumental in that process? Basically, it's kind of staying in your lane. A lot of times, people think you either have to wear heels or do hip hop and be in shape to either dance for or choreograph for these people. But if you do what your purpose is, these people will seek you out. For example, choreographed a tap thing for Beyonce. For Janet, for her, for her um, metamorphosis, um, basically in, in her residency, it was musical theater remix. So I was still doing musical theater. For Mariah, for her Christmas special that just came out, it was more musical theater based. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, if you are the fullness of your purpose, then a lot of times you'll get sought out to do what you do. And it may not happen when you think it's going to happen, but it will. It will. Like a lot of the Lindy movement, like for example, I um, choreographed a quick little section for Gwen Stefani's residency, which was Lindy. Who would think people would put Lindy in that? You know what I mean? Or like I worked with Camila Cabello on her last video. That was Lindy. Right. You know, so like not everything has to just be hip hop and heels and sex and street jazz. There are other things that people will call you for. And you just have to be ready when that moment arises. And you were, sir. And I love that fullness of purpose, like staying in your lane, understanding what your voice is, being confident in that and just understanding that and like plowing through. I love that. That was and being flexible because, mm -hmm. you know, things change all the time. Like what people want, what they think they want is completely different what they actually want, you know? So you just have to be flexible. And I think what helps too is I get bored very quickly, but I love learning. So whether it's learning a new style or learning about the person who created something or learning about somebody in a movie or, you know, just doing it, all of those things, your brain keeps going and keeps wanting to learn more. So by the time somebody's called, they'll give you a reference and you go, I know what that reference is. I know what you really mean, but I'm going to give you this and then give you that and prepackage this, you know? So then you just get to, you know, play. Did you ever, total sidebar, because you spoke mm -hmm. about, so you got called by choreographers, you got called, called by the directors for those moments, or did you get called by the artists themselves? I got called by the choreographers. Like um, for Beyonce, I got called by Frank Gatson. Mm -hmm. 
for Janet, I got called by Gil Duldalao, who was, you know, the supervising choreographer and director of that. Mm -hmm. And for Camila, I got called by Sarah and Calvet, who were her choreographers. So it's also great and a great testament to all of those people, because instead of going like, I can do it and just piece something together, they go, let me get the person that will really do it well. Like, for example, Gwen Stefani, that was Luther, Luther Brown, who brought me in, you know, and I'll big up my Canadian. <laughs> you know what I mean so like it also helps to be a good human and to have a good reputation because if people know they can count on you to do good work and to not be crazy and not like fan out over the artist and yeah. tell you know what's happening before it even happen it happens you know if they know you can keep your mouth shut and you'll be professional you'll be working you will be working you yeah. know you just have to again stay the course Beautiful. So do you have a ultimate space maker in your life? Like, is there a person that has been a part of every single opportunity that you've, you've had in let's say in the last 10 years? I don't. I mean, the only one who has been has been God. Yeah. That's the only one who's been around for every single thing. Like, um, yeah, because the jobs are so varied. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to keep an assistant. You know how people have those assistants that do every job with them? Mm -hmm. I wish I, I did, but I think the jobs are so varied that a lot of times it's outside of people's wheelhouse. You know, it can be, um, it could be like movement coaching someone one day and then the next day it could be working on a commercial and then the next day it could be working on a live TV special and then no, it could be something different every single time. So um, unfortunately, I don't keep the same people around me, but I guess it's fortunate too for other people who would like to, you know, come on board and work. But the only one who's been there for it all has been God. That's it. I love it. So this might come across as an odd question, but do you have a totem in your life? So it's like, uh, Native or Indigenous cultures have totems, so it's like mm -hmm. it's a sacred object. And you know, for listeners who don't know what that is, and it, you know, it represents your ancestry or your lineage. Do you have something in your life that is your totem? I wish I did, but I think my totem is my tribe. I think my totem is everybody who has passed something down mm -hmm. to me, like whether it was a step or some knowledge. And with that being said. I'm the kind of person that my totem does not hold trauma. And a lot of times our teachers or our directors or our rehearsal directors, they only pass down the trauma that they received. So I'm trying to be better about not passing on that trauma, not having people dance fearful, not having people stressed when they're learning or thinking they're going to get fired. You know what I mean? Like not making somebody do it a hundred million times until they hurt and then be like, now you got it, you know? So I would like to say my totem is very supportive and will hold me accountable. And that's literally anybody from Bunny Briggs, Dormisha Sumbri, Derek Grant, you know what I mean? Like all, all the greats that have passed on knowledge to me in every single, like Elena Commendador, or Luther Brown, or Mandy Moore, or Keith Young, you know what I mean? Like everybody has given me something and has sown some, have basically spoke life into my existence. And those are the people that I remember in those situations. Of course, family, because, you know, Mom Deuce has been there since the beginning. She saw it. 
Yes, she did. <laughs> she was the first one who saw it, who was like, oh, yeah. you played every sport and you were bored, but when you watch dance, you sit there for an hour straight. That's different, mm -hmm. you know? So I think um, my totem would be my support system, like my real support system. Amazing. It's like your quilt that you collected along the way. They're, they're part of that quilt. That's beautiful. Exactly. What is your best bad decision? My best bad decision was moving to LA. Yeah, I was that person that, um, again, like I, I told you, I did the whiz and it was in La Jolla. And I was like, well, let me just try out LA for a month. We'll go for a little bit. We'll see how it is. I ended up getting a job and I never went home. My parents had to move me out of my New York apartment. No, that's crazy. I did not go home. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> that doesn't <Stop>. happen. <laughs> well, it's not looking back on it because thank God I did well. But I mean, like, who does that? Who's just like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go home. So everything in my apartment, because the show was supposed to go to Broadway. So I was like, of course, I'm going back to New York. So why give up your apartment? Exactly. So literally gave up my apartment and just stayed in LA. Amazing. Was there a significant fork in the road or a time that you wanted to quit? That's daily <laughs> being in this business. It's so y'all listening. It's hard. It's really yeah. hard. It yeah. is hard. I had that moment during the pandemic where I think about Broadway and, and how I want to choreograph on Broadway, but it seems so daunting. People will not let you in. It is such um, a small group of people that are holding on to what the classical definition of Broadway is, mm -hmm. and they will only let in certain people per year. And, you know, before the pandemic, I was like, maybe I just have to move to New York or I'll go to New York so people will see. And then I was like, well, they fly people in from London and Israel and Amsterdam. I'm just in L.A. Why won't they bring me over? You know, so for that for that moment, I was like, do I have this fight left in me? Do I keep fighting? Like, who am I fighting? Why am I trying to knock on this big white door when there's a lock and a latch? in a doorstop like why am I trying to do that you know so then I said if it happens it happens I'm gonna will it and pray for it to happen yeah. but while it while that's still going through I'm just gonna make my mark in LA and be known as the guy who does musical theater and and works with the divas why not doesn't sound that bad to me <laughs> no not at all <laughs> so did you have a Anna Wintour, a Simon Powell, that tough love mentor that would just read you, say it like it is, make you better. Who is that person for you? Or maybe not. Um, okay, so I will say this because it's about to get very controversial. Mm -hmm. I was not raised with incredibly tough love. I was not raised by a mother who, and father who spanked me or who had to yell all the time, or anybody who had to break me down to build me up. That's not how I was raised. So if any teachers tried to do that, that's not how I responded. I was one of those children that all you had to do was just tell me what you wanted me to do. It's not that I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist, which is different because I wanted to be right. I wanted to be perfect. Um, so anybody in my life who has skewed to being that person didn't stay long 
because that's not what my parents did. And if you see um, how to get through to somebody, there's different, it's different being an aggressive cheerleader or somebody just being mean because there we go, you know, passing on the trauma. And that's what I'm talking about. And a lot of like company work that happens in musical theater that happens all the way around in the industry that happens. I don't respond to that. And I try to let it stop with me. So I feel like I don't necessarily have that person. If somebody tried to be that person, they weren't that person for long because I don't respond to that. So the, the folks that critique you with kindness or kindness, who was that? Or who I was, mean, I, really we got read, but I mean, like there was nobody who like went in on me. Right. And who did anyone, is there, is that person that like, I feel like I have those people in my life where I know they'll, they'll tell me the truth that comes with love. You have yeah. those people. Yeah. I, I think I have a gang of those people. Like oh, those people are my, no, those people are my close friends because that's how I operate. Mm. So I feel like if you put it out there, you're going to want it back. I don't really keep yes people around me because at the end of the day, when you work with these divas and these pop superstars, they don't want that either. They want somebody to go like, the pink dress is cool, but the white one makes you look the best. You know, there's always a way to say things or go like that note was great or that moment was great, but try to recreate this and try to think about that or like do it this way or mm, I don't really know. I liked it better when you did it the other way. So I just feel like if there are people who are effective communicators, you don't have to get red. So now true. your face will get cracked, but that's <laughs> different. That's accountability. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not necessarily you going home feeling like you can't do it. It's going home, being mad at yourself that you didn't do it, but you're going to come back the next day to be better. Yeah. And there, there's a difference in that. Absolutely. That's amazing. I, I know. I, I love that you've surrounded yourself with people like that. I think for me, I had both and I've cleared the way for more of the kindness and love. Mm -hmm. And working with people like Ron Callum, who, who only direct from a place of love and who only yeah. direct from a place of kindness, it's, it's allowed me to see that there are many other ways to direct in that space and be in that space and be a leader in that space, um, which I think is really beautiful because yeah, I, definitely had, I definitely had some tough love mentors in my, in my experience. So it's, it's nice to hear. It's really nice to hear that. Um, yeah, I've had tough love, but I don't think I can consider them mentors. But again, I think that's just from my family upbringing, because, you know, dancers dance better when they're a little afraid. It's just what it is. Competition's there. Yes. Competition. But if you can be free, that's a different kind of movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you feel you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. That's a different kind of expression. When you feel like you can't do any wrong, I feel like my best work on screen was when I felt like I couldn't do any wrong. I'm like, just put the cameras on. I can just go off, sure. But those moments where I was afraid that I was gonna get reamed out if I made a mistake, that's not dancing from a place of freedom. Right, right, absolutely. Was there uh, a moment in your career thus far that's taught you firsthand about betrayal? Oh my gosh, happens all the time, all the time. Um, and the funny thing is, it's not necessary because I don't believe in competition. I kind of feel like almost it is what it is. Like it's not my day today. You know what I mean? Like exactly, what's for me is for me. And and there's been so many lanes that I've jumped in between that I'm like, if it's not my day today, that's fine. But in three days, I'm sure I'm going to get something that's better for me. 
I think the betrayal is um, not necessarily in the work. I think the betrayal is in trust because it's like, I trusted this space to be a safe space. I trusted you. I trusted your integrity. I trusted you with my heart. I trusted you with those things. And sometimes I can't even be mad at the betrayal because at the end of the day, we all know it comes from fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is once you get older, you start seeing that from a mile away and you just let it slide off. You don't even allow yourself to get betrayed. Yeah, absolutely. And not even in a bad way. You just you see it. You identify and you're like, got it. Yeah. Or if you see if they'll do it to somebody else, they'll do it to you. It's just not your time yet. So a lot of times it's not that I have to build up a wall because at the end of the day, you'll build up a wall and then you'll be by yourself. It's about, you know, having a fence so you can see through and you're still a little guarded, but you know, you just see people for the hurting people they are. Right. Absolutely. So one last beautiful question, because I could talk to you forever. Um, you were so generous when you came to Volta and choreographed on our artists and they had such a wonderful time with you. So I'm wondering who you talked about your assistants, but there, are there anybody else that you're making space for right now? Um, I am making space for people who want the space. Um, I am not one to hold back on information. I'm not the person that I feel like I have to hoard everything I know. I'm one of those people that is like, if you genuinely want to learn, come ask, come ask at the end of the day. Like, of course, there are certain assistants and people that I keep around me, like Melinda Sullivan, Sienna Lyons, Melissa Emrico, Lee Daniel, you know what I mean? Like there's certain people that, I mean, Misha Lee, another Canadian, there's a lot of people that I like to keep very close, you know, that will always tell me the truth straight up good or bad, just tell me the truth, like, so we can resolve it. Mm -hmm. Um, But most importantly, I like to keep people around me that like to keep learning, because we're all learning. And once you stop learning is once you feel like you've made it. And then we've, we'll, we'll never make it like that. There's always a different. Yes. So if you want to learn, and if you're vocally anti-racist, I will say that too. A lot of the antis, if you're anti-homophobia, anti-misogyny, anti-sexism, anti-class, like a lot of those things, then come on. But if you have to work through those things, work through those and then give me a call. And that is where we'll end it, folks, (laughs) (laughs) because I can't ask anything more than that. Dominique Kelly, you are phenomenal. You're humble. You're gracious. And it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. But before I go... How can people find you? What are you on? Where, where, what's your favorite social media handle? Yes. Okay. So first of all, they can go to my website, which is www.domkelly.com. And that's D-O-M-K-E-L-L-E-Y. Don't forget the Y. Um, also on Instagram, Dom Kelly. F- uh, Twitter, Dom Kelly. Not on Facebook anymore. Um, IMDB, uh, LinkedIn, you can pretty much just type in Dominique Kelly or Dom Kelly and I'll pop up. So stay tuned. I mean, there's some great things in the works that are coming out soon. (laughs) So like stay tuned and everybody stay safe, sane and healthy. Oh, and I'm going to fangirl up one moment, even though we just finished that. How is Meryl? Oh my gosh. She's my favorite. She is as amazing as everybody thinks she is. 
She's gracious. She's hardworking. She turns off her phone when she's working. She looks you in the eye. She wants your first name and your last name. Like, she's absolutely amazing. And a quick little story. Okay, so when I was, I felt like, I mean, the good thing is, thank God I was working a good amount, but I just needed a break. So I was like, I'm going to go to the Broad by myself. I'm going to go to the museum, have a day. So I'm walking in there, watching some art, looking at like Basquiat or something. All of a sudden, there's this face that pops right in front of me. And I was like, is that? It was Meryl. She just happened to be there too. And she had her arms out and gave me a big hug. And it was just nice to uh, talk to her. We caught up quickly and she kept going. And I forgot that she was who she was. Because at the end of the day, she was my student for a little bit. You know what I mean? So in those moments, like the best actors, they really become your student and you want to make them better. And then as I'm walking out, people are like, oh my gosh, do you see who's here? And I'm, I'm asking them like, who's here? Not realizing they're talking about Meryl. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Forgot. <laughs> For great. Yeah, forget like, oh yeah. But consummate professional, my favorite. And everybody check out the prom. I think you might see a moment with she and I. So hopefully that's still in there. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, again, thank you so much. It's been so thank fun. you. Thank you. Have a great, great night. <laughs> you too.